John 11, 1 to 44. Let's find out what happens to Lazarus. All right. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he'd said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in their loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me, will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews had been... Sorry, when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him? But some of them said, 
Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odour, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of those standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Thanks, Peter. Uh, Hi, everyone. Great to see you uh, and great to see those on uh, live stream looking down the camera. Uh, So as I look around, there's about 40 of us here, uh, 30 or 40, uh, and even got our uh, missionaries from Kenya. Yeah, terrific to have you. (coughs) Terrific to have you here. Excuse me. Um, so yes, and so there's clusters of people sitting around the hall here. So family units are kind of sitting together, but uh, lots of space otherwise. Uh, and I get the impression that there's a hundred or so uh, live streaming uh, right now. Uh, and uh, if you uh, if your if Mandarin is your main language, uh, we also have a, a live stream sort of or live option for Mandarin translation. So you can see my face and hear Susie's voice, uh, which is terrific. So uh, strange times we live in, aren't they? Um, Disturbing, uh, you you know, on the news, social media, the internet. Uh, My my Facebook feed is just dominated by coronavirus stuff. Uh, And every now and then someone says, hey, can you post, you know, the third photo on on your camera so that I can at least see something else? Uh, other than coronavirus, you know, so we see, a w- you know, the worldwide map of this pandemic uh, and its spread. Um, I don't even know whether Kenya makes it on the map. Yeah, but um, uh, and and but we hear of mortality rates um, and the ages most at risk. Uh, there's a new vocabulary, flattening the curve, or social distancing. Uh, and we're all learning what that means and we're all learning uh, how to follow that. The footy stadiums are now empty. So here is uh, AFL and look at the crowd in the background. Um, next photo uh, is of the NRL uh, and you can see this empty big stadium but there are actually players there on the field. I didn't show you the rugby one because there's been no change in the crowds from week to week in rugby. LAUGHTER uh, <laughs> Boom, boom. Wow, that, that got a laugh. That wasn't even in my notes. Uh, um, all right, uh, so, uh, and toilet paper roll, aisles are empty as well as other things. Uh, and there's a new currency now. So it used to be Bitcoin, uh, but now we've got a new currency. Thank you for the Collins family for, you know, really getting into the laughter here. Um, and uh, d- one of the best things I've seen, this comedy gold on the ABC, 
Uh, it's the next one, The Ballad of Dunny Roll. Who's seen this? It is really very clever. See, I love uh, Banjo Patterson and Henry Lawson and those great, and it's like a throwback to that. So it's, you know, it's like listening to The Man from Snow River, but telling the story of the ballad of the Dunny Roll. So it's well worth a watch on iView. Uh, and in America, strange things. Uh, corona beer is basically being boycotted uh, in America. Uh, nothing to do with <laughs> except the name. So the poor Corona beer manufacturers. Um, they say that fear spreads from person to person faster than any virus. Uh, and as scary as the virus is, and as dangerous and deadly as it is, uh, we've seen the, fear, the spread of fear that precedes uh, panic buying. Do you find const yourself constantly checking the news, social media, the internet? Um, I find that there's been times this week where I've just hit fatigue, where I just feel like oh, I, just, I just can't cope with any more of this and I need to do a little bit of a step away from social media because it wears you down, it's exhausting and it just feels like so many different opinions, so many fears. Do you know what I've done? I didn't realise this until last night. I've watched two animated movies. So Zootopia I watched yesterday. It was excellent, but then I thought, why am I going to animated movies? And I think it's because there's so much real-world drama out there I think instinctively I've just gone to what's, I don't want any more real life drama. And so you kind of know this is not real life, I can get uh, into the story. Um, so, so many fears, so many reasons to worry, but what if, what if your biggest worry, your biggest fear could be taken away? What difference would that make, right? Now the biggest fear humanity have is our fear of death. Uh, that's the big one that looms over us all throughout all of our lives. Um, and even in amidst a whole lot of other fears and concerns, death is always kind of lurking as a background fear, that sometimes we sort of push it away, sometimes we're not even conscious of it, but it kind of just lurks there as a fear. What if, we could remove the fear of death. I want to say that would make an incredible difference. It would make a huge difference. And that is exactly what Jesus came to do. He came to remove the sting of death. Uh, and that's what this passage in John 11 is about. Uh, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me, they will never die. And Jesus says, do you believe this? And he said that back then, but he says it to us today. Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? That in him is security even in the face of death? You know, we live in a society where I think we shield ourselves from death so much. Um, we shield ourselves basically from anything that we can't control. We like to be in control of life. We like to have at least a feeling like everything's under control. But death is beyond our control and this virus is beyond our control. There's a certain amount that we can do, but then we're left to wait. Um, 
But what Jesus does is he wants us to have comfort in the face of sickness and suffering. And he wants to give us confidence in the face of death and what lies beyond. Now we're working our way through John's gospel and we've just been working through chapter by chapter. uh, And this is the chapter we're up to today. Uh, And God constantly does this in our church life, doesn't he? Where you go... Uh, We don't have to think of a new topic or a new passage. We just let Jesus speak into our lives and his word remains relevant and powerful and profound. And it will be, it is. Jesus' word to us today is incredibly profound, comforting and helpful. Uh, So John 11, right at the start of this chapter. So in this chapter, I just want to pick up on three surprising things. And the first surprising thing is that Jesus shows love by delay. Jesus shows his love by delay. Um, So here's a map of first century Israel. You can see where Jesus is in the little purple patch up the top, uh, across the Jordan River, up near Galilee. There's where Jesus is. His friend Lazarus is right next to Jerusalem, 150 kilometers away. And Jesus gets the news that Lazarus is really sick. Um, now have a look at um, verse 4. Jesus reassures his disciples this illness will not end in death. It's a funny thing that Jesus says there, isn't it? Because if you know the story, you know that Lazarus does die, but it doesn't end in death. Uh, there's going to be something beyond death, life beyond death. Uh, and Jesus says, no, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now look at verse 5. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and, and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Now I want you to have a look at those verses on the screen. What word is surprising in those two sentences? What word is surprising? What word? So. The word so. It's two, two, two letters. I've underlined it there. If Jesus loves Lazarus, why the delay? Why not urgently get on a donkey or a camel or something like that and head down to Bethany? Because um, what Jesus does instead is he waits two days And then he says to his disciples, the time has come. Verse 11, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. And they go, look, if he's he's asleep, then he'll wake up himself. So Jesus puts it more bluntly in verse 14. Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let's go to him. And by the time Jesus finally arrives in Bethany, Lazarus has been dead for four days. Uh, The family is devastated by grief. Uh, Many of the Jewish community have gathered around to to join the family in their grief. Uh, And the feeling is, there's a feeling of disappointment. Jesus, if only you had have got here earlier, you could have stopped this. You know, you can heal the sick. If only you had have been here earlier, Lazarus would not have died. But what what we see as we read this chapter is Jesus deliberately delayed. 
he chose to delay because he's not just come to heal a sick man, he's come to raise the dead. And he's going to do this in a way that will strengthen his disciples' faith in him so that they realize Jesus is not just a healer, he's a resurrector, that he can bring people back from the grave. Um, Now, before I go any further into the story, I just want to point out that we humans are really bad at coping with delay. Uh, Just the uncertainty of delay, we find it really hard to cope with, especially in an age of instant gratification, where we're just used to whatever I need, I have it straight away. You know, and it's been a shock to us, hasn't it? So you go, normally you run out of the basics, including toilet paper and, you know, some meat and vegetables and so on. Normally you just go, oh, okay, I've run out. I'll go down to the supermarket and within an hour I'm back home. I've got it. Um, But it's a real shock. It almost feels like a scandal to have to wait. But I just want to point out that no other generation has ever expected or experienced that sort of instant gratification. You don't expect it in Kenya, do you, Janelle and Norm? No. You, you just don't expect to have things instantly on tap like we do. Uh, we get sick. We expect a cure. Um, and when the, when the scientists and the doctors tell us, oh, it might be another year, we find that really disturbing because, like, well, what are you, what's holding you back? You know, just get on with it. You know, come up with a cure. Uh, And we kind of panic because we're not used to this circumstance of being so out of control. I just want to point out that the Bible tells us that we are living in an age of delay. The character of our world right now is that we're caught in a delay. And the delay is before the Son of God, Jesus, is revealed and the new creation is ushered in. And Romans 8 tells us that the creation is groaning. The whole creation joins in a groaning, longing for the sons of God, for the children of God to be revealed. But, it, but w- while we wait, we live in the midst of brokenness, sickness, death, imperfection, groaning. And God has something to teach us in the midst of the delay. So I've got Romans chapter 5 on the screen. Where Paul says, we also rejoice, we rejoice in our sufferings. That is so countercultural. We rejoice in our sufferings because we know suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope doesn't disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. It's not at all suggesting that we sort of smiley happy people, you know, no matter what's going on, we've constantly got this joyful exterior. If that's you, then that, that's fine. But this, this verse is not saying that we have to be smiley happy all the time. But what it's saying is even in the midst of suffering and uncertainty, we can have a joy because we know the true God. We know his promises. We know his power. Uh, we can entrust our lives into his care. And we're reminded that we are not in control, but he is. Uh, And so it teaches us perseverance and hope 
and character. It builds us living in the midst of the gap, the, the delay before God ushers in the blessings of the new age. Now, if you trust in Jesus, I just want to assure you, God loves you. Uh, and he will act in your best interest in every situation of your life. No matter how out of control life feels like to us, and it is out of our control, but it is never out of God's control. He has this in hand. Uh, and he wants us to humbly trust him in the midst of whatever delay or uncertainty or suffering we're going through. So there's the first thing. Jesus shows his love by delay. The second thing that's kind of odd in this chapter is that Jesus comforts grief by pointing to himself. Uh, and for, if it was any other person doing it, that would be really weird. So look at verse 19. Jesus arrives in Bethany. Everyone's grieving. Verse 19, many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. Jesus comes, Martha goes out to greet Jesus. Verse 21, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus says, your brother will rise again. And I think she kind of goes, yeah, I know, I know that. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection. Uh, and she has in mind the judgment day at the end of history. So she knows... From her Bible, from her Old Testament, 600 years before Jesus, Daniel had spoken, or God had spoken through Daniel about a day. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Martha believes in that final resurrection. And so, yes, she knows that her brother will rise from the dead on that day. But Jesus replies, I am the resurrection and the life whoever believes in me will live even though they die now i don't know if you heard scott morrison's address to the nation the other day on wednesday uh, i certain the members of my household sat around watched that um, wanting to make wanting to hear what the latest was and i was greatly reassured because uh, from all accounts, he had been up all night working with, you know, gathering together all the, the government heads and the medical experts from each state and from the federal government. And they came to a united position and, you know, putting measures in place, wanting to reassure us of what they were doing. And it was an impressive and reassuring moment for me uh, in the midst of, like, you know, what is a crisis. But I just want you to imagine that Scott Morrison stood there in front of the nation and he said, it's okay, everybody, because I'm here. Uh, and in the face of sickness and death, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, what would, what would you have thought if you were watching and Scott Morrison says, it's okay, I'm here, I'm the resurrection and the life? Would that have reassured you? No, I can't see any nods. No, it wouldn't have. You would have thought, what sort of delusional leader is this? Uh, what has gone wrong in his head? Now, the reason I say that is because that's exactly what Jesus does, isn't it, in this chapter. 
He steps into a situation of incredible grief. People's hearts have been broken. Um, the crowd has gathered. It's over for Lazarus. But he steps in and he says, it's okay, I've got this. I am the resurrection and the life. And I reckon you hear those words and you go, who does Jesus think he is? Does Jesus think he's God or something? And the answer is yes, absolutely. Here is God come amongst us. Um, over the last 20 years, one of the most passionate opposition, uh, opposers of Christianity has been Christopher Hitchens. Uh, he wrote this book, God is Not Great, uh, How Religion Poisons Everything. Uh, and for many years, for decades, he was a fierce opponent uh, of Christianity. But uh, he died a few years ago, and not long after his death, a book came out with this title, The Faith of Christopher Hitchens, and subtitle, The Restless Soul of the World's Most Notorious Atheist. Uh, Larry Taunton was the author. Um, and listen to this book's description. While Hitchens was, in the minds of many Christians, public enemy number one, away from the lights and the cameras, a warm friendship flourished between Hitchens and the author, Larry Taunton. A friendship that culminated in not one but two lengthy road trips where after Hitchens' diagnosis of cancer, they studied the Bible together. Uh, it's a really strange thing because Larry Taunton and Hitchens used to do public debate. Uh, Taunton on behalf of Christianity, Hitchens opposing Christianity. Uh, and yet in the, in the months after his diagnosis of cancer, he connected up with Larry Taunton and they went on two road trips across America and the purpose of those road trips was to study the Gospel of John. And they get to this passage in John 11, where Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Uh, and Christopher, I'm going to read from the book. Christopher Hitchens stops and he says, I know this one. And then, taking his reading glasses off, he turns to me and he says, Do you believest thou this, Larry Taunton? His sarcasm is evident but it lacks its customary force. And Larry says, I do, but you already knew that I did. The question is, do you believest thou this, Christopher Hitchens? And as if searching for a clever response, Hitchens hesitates and speaks with unexpected transparency. And he says, I'll admit that it's not without appeal to a dying man. It's not without appeal a dying man. Now the author here, he's not claiming that Hitchens became a Christian in his final days, but he is claiming that Hitchens took the opportunity to reevaluate his understanding of Jesus, to reevaluate um, the claims of Jesus as he faced his own death. And that little phrase, I am the resurrection and the life, do you believe this, was bouncing around in, the, in his head. Publicly, a passionate, confident atheist, but privately, he had doubts, and so he took the time to investigate. Now, part of the reason I raise this is because perhaps that is going to happen more and more in the days ahead. Uh, in the face of coronavirus and the uncertainty 
the way it forces us to face our own mortality, the way we feel scared and out of control. Our self-confidence has taken a hit. And my prayer is that many will reinvestigate the claims of Jesus and actually say, I'm not in control of my life in the way I'd like to be, but maybe Jesus is. Uh, maybe his promises are true. Maybe his claims, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Do you believe this? And one of my um, goals, I haven't really raised this with Thomas yet, is I want to run, in, a, in about a month's time or so, I want to run the life course, uh, even if it's a, an online version of the course, uh, so that we can, as families, tune in, or as, so that we can invite friends to sort of live stream in and so on, because uh, I reckon this is a great moment and opportunity to encourage people to rethink about the claims of Jesus. Uh, and I, I want to say, over the past 18 years, I have seen firsthand the comfort that Jesus brings in the face of death. You know, as I've walked with brothers and sisters from our church family, as I've walked with them through death, as they've approached death, even held hands as people have breathed their last. And I want to assure you, knowing Jesus makes all the difference. Uh, I've seen people face death regularly with joy. Joy is such a strange word. But yes, joy, peace, comfort, hope. Uh, and it, it's, it's a privilege to, be, to see it and to be part of it. Uh, but there's also such a testimony to what Jesus has done for them and to the hope that the on, he is the only place where this hope is found. But he brings real comfort in the face of death because he is the resurrection and the life. Come on to the third kind of strange thing, and that is Jesus reacts to death with tears and outrage tears and outrage verse 32 when mary reached the place where jesus was and she saw him she fell at his feet and said lord if you'd been here my brother wouldn't have died and when jesus saw her weeping and the jews who had come along with her also weeping he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled and that little phrase deeply moved and troubled it normally carries a sense of outrage of sometimes even anger uh, there's something jesus finds in this scene that is deeply disturbing and something that fires a sense of rage in his heart now what is he outraged about i reckon it is death itself the presence of death in our world the presence of death in this family's life um, Jesus, sorry, 1 Corinthians 15 is a great passage on the resurrection. And verse 26, 26 says, The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Death is the, the great enemy that looms over us. And I think Jesus is outraged because there is something profoundly wrong with death. Uh, it just points to the fact that something's wrong with our world. We live in a broken world where relationships are severed, where we are robbed 
of joy and longevity. That's not how God made the world to be. And so there's a sense to which here Jesus steps into this scene and it just speaks to him of the brokenness of the world and he feels that sense of rage against it. But then Jesus responds not just with outrage but also tears. Verse 34, Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. Now these are tears of compassion and love. They said, See how Jesus loved his friend. So strange and beautiful, isn't it? It's strange because Jesus knows that he's about to bring Lazarus out of the grave. Uh, And yet confronted with this situation of grief, he weeps and he's deeply moved. There's this complex set of emotions that is going on for Jesus. And that's my experience of death. Death brings a really complex set of emotions. Um, even, even the death of a, a Christian, you know, we have a Christian funeral here at church. And there's this really strange mix of joy and grief. You know, tears and, some, and laughter often. Uh, joy because we know we're going to see them again. And we take hold of the comfort of God's promises. We know that they've gone to a better place. So there is joy and real comfort, but there's also tears because of the grief and heartache, uh, because we miss them. Now, even for Jesus, as he steps into a context of grief, even for Jesus when he knows that he has the power to deal with this situation, as he confronts this scene, he responds with this mix of outrage and tears and grief grieves for his friend he shares their pain of the family and i think it probably brings home for him the fact that he will be heading to his own death in only about a week or two's time Uh, and and all that has led to that the sin of the world that has led to the fact that the son of god would lay down his life just this complex mix of emotions and so then jesus goes to the tomb he stands there and he says verse 39 take away the stone but lord said martha the sister of lazarus by this time there's a bad odor for he has been there for four days Uh, the old king james had a beautiful little phrase here lord he stinketh Uh, i didn't even know stinketh was a word but lord he stinketh Uh, And and the whole idea is that it's very evident that Lazarus really had died. Uh, Everything about this scene spoke to that death had visited this family four days earlier. But Jesus stands into the tomb, the stones rolled away, and he speaks inside. And he says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus comes out of the grave. We sing that song, hey, you call my name and I ran out of the grave. Well, that's what happens with Lazarus Uh, and once again so with all the miracles in John's gospel John calls them signs because what they do is they're not just a a massive wonder they're not just a miracle but they actually point to the identity and the power of Jesus they tell us who Jesus is and this miracle shows us that Jesus has the power over death he has the authority to give life and the authority to take life. He has the authority to raise 
from the grave. And one day, one day in the near future, Jesus will stand and declare, come out. And millions and billions of people will rise up on that day at Jesus' voice. Some to everlasting life, others to everlasting destruction. But when we hear his voice, all will come out of the grave on that day because he has authority over the grave. Now I just want to wrap up by just making a, a few comments. So we're living in this world gripped by fear and uncertainty. But Jesus has come to address our fears, come to calm us in the midst of our fears. And not only does he walk with us through our fear, through the darkest valley, but he also takes away our biggest fear. He removes the fear of death from all who trust in him. And so I want to leave you with two words of encouragement. The first is, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Because right? if all you do is fix your eyes on what the world is feeding you, on the internet, social media, on telly, then you will be worn down, exhausted, anxious, you'll feel powerless, it will lead to panic. I'm not recommending that you be uninformed, but you need to hear something beyond what our world is telling us. You need a word from God speaking into this situation. Uh, we need to keep fixing our eyes on Jesus, the one who's overcome death. So how do you do that? Well, we have God's word. Uh, and what we need to do is, rather than constantly feeding on the cycle of news as our only source of input, let's feed on God's word as well. Uh, read it, the daily reading notes. You can subscribe to that every day. They'll just come out and give you some, a passage to read, some reflections, some prayer points. Our growth groups are a key way that we can, in fellowship with one another, feed on God's word, to hear a word from outside. We had our two growth groups. We met in the um, function room there on Friday night. Uh, one was at five o'clock. We had a few people live stream into the group. And then there was about five or six of us that sat around at a good distance. You know, we couldn't actually touch each other. There we were. Uh, and it was great. Uh, and maybe in, in days and weeks to come, maybe it'll actually transition almost entirely to the online connection. But we met together. Um, Sunday by Sunday, we will continue to gather one way or the other. And if you can't be with us physically... Uh, we want to encourage you to connect with us via live stream. And I want to encourage you to recognize that church is more than just me standing up and singing a couple songs. Church is before and after too. So I want to encourage us, if you're sitting there at home, like you are here this morning, then connect with some people before church uh, and you know, interact with them uh, online then after church, connect with them. You know, maybe bounce around a few ideas or questions. Organise a sort of one of those a little video party together. Um, and uh, it's a way of sort of bringing that broader interaction beyond just receiving the word, beyond singing, to interacting with one another. Because you know how people talk about social distance, social distancing? 
I reckon it's the wrong word. I, I, I'm, I'm for the concept, but the concept is physical distancing. Social distancing is all the more important. As this virus ramps up, we need one another more than ever. Uh, so we need, we need connection with one another, even though we might be physically separated from one another. Uh, so there's the first thing. We need to keep hearing God's word and fixing our eyes on Jesus. The second thing is to say, this is our time to shine. And I'm talking about us Christians. This is when we are at our best. Uh, and I'm not just saying that in theory. This, is, this has been proven for the last 2,000 years. Jesus came into our world as the light of the world. And he said it again and again. Now that he is ruling from on high, now that he's poured out his spirit into our hearts, it's our time to shine. And he wants us to be a beacon of light in this dark world. Uh, and uh, let me tell you, like throughout the last 2,000 years, when there has been a crisis or a plague or even in the midst of war or whatever, Christians have always shone in the way we respond to it. And I think... Part of it is that God has taken away our fear of death, but he also he gives us a model of selfless love in the face of whatever we're going through. So this guy, Rodney Stark, um, wrote a, uh, a world-renowned historian on the rise of early Christianity. And he wrote, he, he did a lot of research trying to work out what was it that took Christianity, what does it say? How the obscure marginal Jesus movement became the dominant religious force in the Western world in a few centuries. It really is remarkable. How is it that this little band that were despised and persecuted and killed by the Roman Empire, how is it that within, a, within 300 years, they have become the dominant force within the Roman Empire? Now, Rodney Stark is not a Christian, but he was committed to what actually took place back then. And he says lots of people point to the conversion of Constantine, right? In 312 AD, Constantine becomes a Christian. But Rodney Stark said that wasn't the turning point. The turning point was the explosive, exponential rise of Christianity. And Constantine, in a sense, got swept up in that. But the cause was something preceding Constantine. And Rodney Stark points to a number of things, but a key one was the two plagues that took place in Rome in the year 165 and then again in the year 251 AD. And in both plagues, thousands were dying in the city of Rome every day. Uh, devastating. They were probably something like smallpox or measles, something that we've got a vaccine to, vaccine to now. But what happened was many of the wealthy Romans responded by fleeing the city. Now, and they had the money and the power and the opportunity to do that. Many of the pagan priests fled the city and it left millions of the poor class, the poorer people, to die uh, and try to survive on their own. And what happened was the Christians stayed and showed each other compassion, love and care. He actually points to statistics that suggest that amongst Christian communities, the death rate was half that 
of those outside Christian communities just because, well, he he argues that it was because they showed care and love and uh, trying to meet the needs of those who were suffering. Uh, And as the wider population watched this and witnessed this and experienced it for themselves, it was incredibly compelling now, they looked at their own religions and saw that they didn't offer anything in the midst of a crisis, but Christianity had real legs. It had real help, real hope. So I want to say this is our time to shine. Now, we talk about flattening the curve, and gee, we want to flatten the curve, don't we? But we should also talk about ramping up the curve on kindness, compassion, generosity, love. Right? That's... That's our opportunity. Uh, we want to do it, you know, caring in our growth groups. Please connect with a growth group. Uh, that's going to be the best way to navigate through this time. Helping hands uh, is, is, is our sort of practical arm of our church, and we want to use helping hands to distribute meals as needed or any practical help, or even just getting on the phone and ringing those who are isolated. You might feel like, you know, if you're listening, you might feel like I'm stuck at home, but I've got time where I could get on the phone, ring people who are isolated, checking in, make sure they're going okay, make sure they're actually feeling a point of connection. You know, some mightn't even have the ability to connect technology-wise. Keep each other informed. Um, In all of this, I don't think we need to advocate reckless behaviour. Um, the government has given us really sensible measures and we want to embrace them. So I'm not, I'm not talking about reckless behaviour, but I am talking about reckless love or radical love where we continue to be other person-centred even when our world is in the midst of panic and fear and crisis. We can do it because Jesus has calmed our fears and given us a model for us to imitate. So how about I lead us in prayer? Uh, Will you pray with me? God, our Father, uh, we do live in troubled times. You know it, and we're feeling it. We feel uncertain, afraid, out of control. We grow weary with worry. Uh, we, We grow weary with decisions that we have to make. But Father, we pray that you'll help us to fix our eyes on Jesus. We pray that you will fill us with your word and your spirit at this time. Please help us to cast, uh, to fix our eyes on the one who has defeated death, who has removed the sting of death, who calms our fears, who walks with us through the darkest valley, but also who brings us safely through death to the new creation. Father, we pray that we'll fix our eyes on Jesus and on your promises. Please help us to take all these fears and concerns we have and cast them onto you, knowing that you are our loving Heavenly Father, that you care for us in the midst of all of this. Father, we pray for your healing and your protection over our church family, over our family members, our friends, over our whole world. Father, we pray that you'll continue to calm our fears, fill us with hope. 
And Father, we pray that as your people, we will shine as a light in the midst of this dark world. Fill us with your love. Uh, Rally us. Uh, Use us uh, to reach out to our community uh, with the saving words of Jesus uh, and with, with his love. And Father, we pray that we will be able to look back on this crisis and see that you have used the circumstances and our response as part of the building of your kingdom and your eternal purposes. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.